Cybersecurity retail breaches, EMV, and threats posed by compromised personal information have all been hot topics this year. But as we look out toward the rest of 2015, what fraud and cyber concerns will be top of mind for banking institutions and financial services generally? I'm joined today by Aviva Leighton, a recognized financial fraud expert and distinguished analyst at Gartner Research, to discuss what she sees as being top fraud and security concerns for the rest of the year. In this first part of a two-part interview, Leighton discusses cyber extortion, insider threats, and emerging authentication solutions banking institutions are investing in to address everything from new account fraud to business email compromise. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Aviva, could you just give our audience an overview of what you see as being the biggest threats right now that we're facing in 2015? Sure, Tracy. The two biggest threats in 2015 are cyber extortion and insiders that are operating as free agents. So let's look at each of these separately. Cyber extortion is probably the hottest trend of 2015. There is a cyber extortion entity called DD4BC, which means DDoS for Bitcoins. And this gang is going around planting malware on their target networks. So let's say they're targeting Bank X. They'll get malware on the network, and then they'll lock up various files that contain sensitive information. They'll extract information from these files, and then they'll threaten to publish it or conduct a denial of service attack against the bank. This has been going on for a while, and banks are paying out. The basic rule of thumb is that the target will pay $5 for $100 worth of damage. So they find it worthwhile to just respond to these extortionists by paying out because the damage that they could do is worth 20 times of what they're being asked to pay. This gang is aiming at financial institutions mainly, but they're also going after any other type of enterprise that will pay. Uh, there's some big names involved in this, and in fact, there are some companies that have been paying these extortionists for over a year now. And there's no public reference to this because it's something nobody wants the public to know about. But all you have to do is get into the dark web and you'll see evidence of these attacks and information on them. Uh, so it's a big problem. I know that uh, people are working on it and it's something that doesn't get talked about. But it is a, a very big problem. And we saw this kind of with the Ashley Madison hack on a much more amateur level in some sense than uh, some of these more serious cyber extortion attacks. The second big issue out there, the big threat, is that there's insiders at all kinds of companies, banks, retailers, airlines, that are operating as free agents. Sometimes they'll purposely get a job at one of these companies uh, just to promote their business in the dark web. So you'll see insiders working for financial institutions that are getting access to sensitive information and selling it on the dark web. I saw some evidence of a criminal that actually is a carter, you know, the expertise is in credit cards. And this person was bragging about his new job with a leading retailer that would further his carding skills and the data that he was able to steal. There was another case where an employee of a major airline 
started operating on the black market and giving guides on how to take over frequent flyer points, how to book reservations and false names. There's this thriving business in the dark web and insiders at banks and other organizations are participating in it. So those are two of probably the most malicious threats that are around now that banks will have to deal with. Aviva, let's go back to talk about some of these extortion techniques that you were mentioning earlier. Are banking institutions just willing to pay the extortion fees rather than get law enforcement involved? I'm not exactly sure, Tracy, on how they're handling it internally, but I do know that they are paying the cyber extortion gangs. Some of them are. And certainly law enforcement is involved. I'm not exactly sure the sequence and who's doing what. I just know it's happening. And, of course, the banks and also the law enforcement agencies are trying to catch these guys and stop them. But, you know, it's very difficult to do because they're anonymous. So if we look out to some of the other threats and trends that you see for 2015 beyond extortion and the insider threats, what would you say is the next top topic? Would it be some of the authentication challenges that banking institutions are facing now that we see all of this breached personal information? Yeah, I would say that that is the next biggest challenge, knowing who you're dealing with on the other end of the line. Uh, especially when you're setting up a new account. From what I can tell, that is, again, you know, one of the largest issues out there that's affecting banks and government agencies also. So the problem is, is all the information that banks rely on to know their customers, both for compliance purposes and for fraud purposes, that data is all compromised now. You know, we've been reading for a couple years now about these big data thefts and data heist and personal information. And everyone you talk to, I had a call from a client yesterday that said he couldn't believe the kind of personal information that these bad guys have assembled on individuals. They just have like a page of data on everybody or anyone that they've managed to pull together into their dossier. So if you're trying to validate an identity electronically while you're opening a new account or conducting a high-risk transaction, you can't rely on the old methods. And the old methods were, well, let's see if this name and date of birth and social security number and address all reconcile in the public records. And let's ask this user or this applicant questions about their life history that only they can answer. You know, that's all failed. You know, we've seen that real clearly with the IRS tax refund scams that's been publicized. Well, banks have the same exact problems. There are solutions out there, but they're tough to put together. You have to be able to have the resources to patch new types of solutions together. And financial institutions that have resources to spend are doing that, but lots of them don't have the money to spend on that. So what about some of the enhanced authentication technology that's out there, Aviva, such as biometrics or even behavioral analytics? Do you see banking institutions making more investments in these types of technologies as we move forward? Certainly the large financial institutions that have the resources to spend on improved technology are definitely making investments in behavioral analytics and stronger authentication. So let's separate out those investments into two buckets. One is what do you do for a new account applicant? And second, how do you stop account takeover? So stopping account takeover with stronger authentication and analytics is easier to do, by the way, than 
when you're seeing someone for the first time. And in that case, we're seeing a lot of investment in profiling customers. It's been going on for years, but it's actually getting better. So you keep a profile of this customer and all their activities and what they do. And then when the new transaction takes place, you compare that transaction to the profile using machine learning. And that's where the advances are getting really exciting with the move from machine learning that's supervised where humans have to say what's good or bad to unsupervised deep learning where machines are basically going to be able to figure out what's good or bad without human intervention. That's not happening quite yet, although I have seen some early implementations of this deep learning where you don't need human beings telling the system very much. Really what I'm talking about is artificial intelligence and the evolution of that in financial services. And it's quite exciting. And banks are really at the forefront of it in the commercial sector. We are seeing some pretty exciting things going on with behavior analytics and machine learning and deep learning. On the authentication of existing account holders, and getting rid of passwords or augmenting them, there's also been quite a lot of adoption of biometrics. The issue with biometrics for the banks has been twofold. One, it just hasn't been that accurate, although the technology has really improved over the last few years, and it is finally ready for prime time. And the second big issue is enrollment. So if you've got you know, 30 million customers, you don't want to make them all come into the branch and give you their fingerprint. So, you know, there's uh, all kinds of enrollment challenges, but you want to make sure you're enrolling the right person. So having said all that, we still are seeing some exciting things going on with voice, because when you call a call center, you're already speaking, and so they're able to record your voice and create a voice print for you if they're sure it's really you. And quite a few very large financial institutions are using voice now to authenticate callers, and they're also using um, other technology in conjunction with the voice, like phone printing and other analytics. And then we're seeing on the smartphones some of the banks starting to use facial recognition and fingerprint. Some are leveraging what Apple's done with Touch ID. So uh, biometrics is finally moving. Banks are certainly the prime sector that's able to take advantage of it in high-risk transactions. So to summarize, there is quite a lot of innovation going on around analytics, again, with this machine learning advances and a lot of advances going on in biometrics that are finally starting to roll out to consumers. Aviva, what about investments that you see to enhance identity proofing? So the challenges with identity proofing are really tough. If you've never seen this individual before and you're opening a new account, you don't have any history to go on. And as we talked about, the regulated personal information, like social security numbers attached to date of birth, and all the life history questions and answers, that data has been compromised or it's been gathered on the Internet. So what we're seeing is financial institutions starting to rely on other data that's more dynamic, like email addresses and phone numbers and devices and the relationship across those entities. So for example, if someone's applying for a new account and they're coming from a device that has been associated with fraud before, then you raise the risk score. Or if someone gives you a phone number that's a prepaid VoIP line 
and it's a mobile phone, then the likelihood of fraud is probably 50% higher. And if that phone is attached and given with an email that's been associated with bad activity, then the risk score really goes up you know, to like 95%. So by looking at the phone type associations with email addresses, past use of these email addresses, have they been associated with chargebacks? There's a lot of data that's being built up from various vendors that companies like Uber and Apple and uh, you know the big e-commerce companies are using this. The banks are starting to experiment with it and are probably going to start adopting more use of that coming up in the next couple of years because they can't rely on this static personal information. Another really interesting innovation that's been around for a couple of years, but we're starting to get a lot more interest in it now, is if you do see a high-risk applicant and you want to prove their identity, you ask them to take a picture of their driver's license or passport if they have a smartphone or they can use their printer scanner. And then there are vendors that can look at the characteristics of that document and compare it to what's expected. So if you're submitting a Florida driver's license, the quality of the smartphone cameras is good enough that you could see if it's got the right hologram, the right imprints. And you can also look at the barcoded information and compare it to what's on the face of the document. And then some of the solutions also have the user taking a selfie. So they could take a picture of themselves at that point, and that would verify that they're really a real live person, and that picture would be compared to the picture on the driver's license. I have gotten a lot of calls from clients around the world on this, mainly from banks on these kind of technologies, especially the driver's license and liveness tests. So I think we can expect to see that in the future. And banks are perfect candidates to roll out that technology because it's similar to remote check image capture. So they're already getting their customers to take pictures of checks for depositing. So this is, in a sense, just an extension of that technology. That's interesting, Aviva. Do you think that some of that type of technology might help banking institutions work with some of their commercial customers when it comes to some of these business email compromise attacks that we've seen. I know that this has been really worrisome and we've seen upticks at least during the first half of 2015 in these types of account takeover, really wire fraud incidents. Yeah, that's a really good point. The business email compromises and social engineering of bank customers is another huge problem. Because banks don't have any direct control over their customers if they get socially engineered through an email or a phone call. So the solution there is security awareness among their customers, and they're trying to promote that. But also good fraud detection. So right now, if the company has been compromised through an email that says, hi, I'm the CEO and I want you to transfer money to the supplier, but it's a different account than we've used in the past, the bank fraud detection systems pick up that this is a new account and they've never transferred money to that account before. But what's happening now is they'll call the customer and say, you know, we're going to suspend this transaction because it, it looks like it's fraud. And then the customer will say, no, I got instructions from my CEO. You go ahead and process it. So in the future, perhaps this technology for identity proofing of documents can be rolled out to the customer sites where now you start proving 
that, sorry, CEO, before I act on your instruction, I need to see your driver's license. I mean, it's not really clear that that kind of friction would be imposed readily on a customer enterprise, but I think what's, you know, the big moral of the story is the criminals are moving to the point of least resistance, which are the customers themselves, and socially engineering those customers. And so identity proofing is a big part of the solution to that problem, because if you're being socially engineered, if you insist on identity proof of the person who's socially engineering you, you could not fall victim to those social engineering scams. So in some, I think as the technology improves and gets easier to implement, and there's not as much friction that yeah, we'll see more identity proofing at customer enterprises, but that's probably a few years away. In the meantime, the banks have to worry about social engineering of their customers and putting good fraud detection systems to try to stop it. This is the end of the first part of a two-part interview with financial fraud expert Aviva Leighton of Gartner. Be sure to check back for the second half of this interview when Leighton will discuss emerging payments fraud trends, the implications of retail breaches, and challenges the U.S. market will face as it works to ramp up its rollout of EMV. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.